How many of you guys have ever been camping? Just a raise of hands. Now, I mean real camping, okay? Not RV camping, right? Like tent camping, in the woods, sleeping bag, not in the backyard, right? Okay? All right, real camping. Growing up, I was in the Boy Scouts, and we did a lot of camping. Uh, we would go out every couple months, and we would have a, uh, camp, a, camping, a camp out with other troops. We would go out on Friday night. We would get there. We'd set up our tents. We would build a campfire. We would cook. We would do stuff all day on Saturday, and then on Sunday, we would go home. Uh, during the summer, our Boy Scout troop would actually go up to the mountains in North Carolina and go to a Boy Scout camp there outside of Asheville, and uh, we would spend the whole week out camping. Uh, in fact, one time uh, when we went, we actually did a minimal night where we went out and all we had was uh, what we had in a coffee can, what we could carry in that coffee can, and we had to survive uh, the night and into the next day with only what we could carry in that small can. And, and I loved it. I, I loved it. I had fun camping. But as much as I loved camping, on those weekend trips that we would go on, come Sunday morning, I was ready to go back home. <laughs> After sleeping on the hard ground all weekend long, I was ready for my own bed. I was ready for a long, nice shower. We were only there temporary. We were tent living for the weekend, but soon we longed to be home. This morning, as we come to the, the climax and the, the, the major theme of Paul's letter, we're going to see not only the theme of this letter, but we're really going to see the theme of Paul's life laid out for us. And we're going to see that Paul recognized that his life was only tent living. He was only camping, and he was longing and preparing to go home. A few weeks back, we started our study going through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we met some of the Philippians that first week. We met Lydia, we met the demon-possessed girl, we met the jailer and their families, and we saw that we can learn from them what it means to be mature in the faith, what it means to live for Jesus and to live like Jesus. And, and when we follow the example of the Philippians in mature living, we are going to be working and uh, partnering with God for the kingdom work. We're going to be receiving discernment from God that abounds in love, and we are going to bear the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. And we said that as we begin to do that, what we will find is we will find joy for our journey. Last week, we saw how Paul recognized his circumstances, even being in jail as for the greater good, and that Jesus was going to be proclaimed in and through Paul, no matter what circumstances he found himself in. And we asked ourselves two questions last week. We said, what are we known for, and what are we leading people to trust in? Well, today we are going to unpack Paul's main point, his main purpose, not only for this letter to the Philippians, but also for his life. Paul will say, for him to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And really, the rest of the letter of Philippians is him giving us examples of what that means and what that looks like to live out that verse. What it means for us to live lives that are for Christ, and to have a mindset that to die is gain. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Philippians, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. We'd love to give you a copy of one as a gift from us. Please take one home if you don't own one. If 
you're looking for Philippians, it's on the right side of your Bible in the New Testament. It comes right after Ephesians, right before Colossians. And we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 18 today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. We'll also have it up here on the screen. We're going to pick up in the middle of verse 18. Paul says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and, for, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be put to shame, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So let's pause there for just a moment. So Paul is fully assured of his deliverance. Now, Paul, he doesn't see deliverance as maybe some of us in our culture would see deliverance, okay? For, for Paul, his deliverance wasn't based on whether or not he actually got out of jail or was acquitted or not. In our culture, we would say if Paul said he is sure of his deliverance, that means that he's going to get out. But that's not what Paul had in mind when he said that he was sure of his deliverance. Paul is assured of his deliverance, though, because, first and foremost, because of the prayers of the Philippians, and then secondly, by the provisions of God, the provision that God was going to provide through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Interesting kind of side note here, the, word, the Greek word that Paul uses for provision is actually only used one other time in the entire New Testament by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, and it's for supporting ligaments. And in those verses in Ephesians 4, Paul is giving this illustration, this metaphor for the church and talking about how we are held together when each one of us are doing our parts. Are you starting to see maybe some of the connection there? For Paul, he sees the provision that God is going to provide as coming through the body of Christ, as coming through the church. Paul knew that the Spirit of Jesus is going to provide his needs through the church. And again, Paul does not see his deliverance as necessarily being his release from prison or even his acquittal. For Paul, deliverance, his earnest expectation of deliverance and the hope that he had was that no matter what, whether he was set free from jail or not, whether in his life or even in his death, that Jesus is going to be proclaimed and exalted no matter what. So then... Here comes the main thesis, the main point of not only Paul's letter, but also the main point of his life. Look at verse 21. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For Paul, nothing else mattered. This was it. If Paul was going to continue on living, it was going to be for Jesus Christ. If he was going to die, it was going to be for God's glory and for his own gain. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, said, as he is getting ready to leave the Ephesian elders, 
and head to Jerusalem after being warned that he is going to be arrested, says these words. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Brett McCracken writes and says that following Christ is not one's golden ticket to a white picket fenced American dream. It's an invitation to die and to pick up a cross. C.S. Lewis wrote and said, he said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. If you want religion to make you feel comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity, Lewis wrote. For Paul, for him to live would mean Christ. And to die would be gain. Not that Paul was expecting some sort of golden ticket, some sort of uh, happiness in this life. But Paul knew that if he were to die, uh, Paul had died to himself and had picked up his cross And for him to keep on living would mean for more progress for the gospel. The next verse, Paul says, I don't know which to choose. I am hard-pressed on both sides. I'm torn between the two. And so it's these two things that I want us to unpack for the rest of our message today. What it means to live for Christ and what it means to die for gain. Let's start with the former and then we'll come back to the other. So Paul says, to die is game. And then he unpacks that a little bit more in verse 23. Look there at verse 23 of Philippians 1. He says, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul understood that for him to die... For him to depart from this body, depart from this life, would mean that he would step into the life to come and that he would be with Jesus Christ. And that is so much better, especially in the circumstances that he found himself in. You see, Paul understood that death is simply a stepping stone to be with Jesus. And in fact, even closer towards the end of Paul's life, he reflects and unpacks this idea even more as he writes to his young friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he says this, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Remember what he said back in Acts 20? He said, my life is nothing. I just want to make sure that I finish the race, that I complete the task. And here he says, now I have done that. This is years later. He says, now I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only, uh, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So as Paul approached the end of his life, he sees that he has fought the good fight, that he has run the race, and he knows that a crown of righteousness awaits him. For Paul, he was only camping, and he was longing to go home. When we're camping, we are only there temporarily. 
And we can put up with some hardships and some inconveniences because we know that soon we're going back home to our own beds and to our own showers. Paul saw his life here as only camping. He was only setting up tent for a short amount of time. And this life was only preparing him for the life to come. Now, this does not mean that this life has no meaning. In fact, because this life is only camping and we are preparing for the life to come, this life has even more meaning. And we only find meaning in our life because of the eternity that we have through Jesus Christ. Paul understood that this life mattered to prepare him for the life to come. Nor was Paul going to sit idly by and just wait for the next life to come. No, for Paul, if he was going to live, it was going to mean that God was going to be glorified in him. And it was going to mean that he would have fruitful labors for God's kingdom. But he also knew that for him to die was gain. He knew that this was just his temporary home. And he reflects that in his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 6, he says, For we know that if our earthly tent, talking about our bodies, we live in, is destroyed, that we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead in our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, this body, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead in our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, that we are away from the Lord. Paul understood that this life was only temporary. And Paul was groaning, he was longing for his eternal home because Paul was only camping. Now, I have been with a number of different people who have been on death's door. Some of them have been scared because they haven't lived their lives for Jesus. And they are unsure of what lies ahead of them. Others are, are scared because of regrets that they have, of things that they did or didn't do, or things that they said or didn't say to people that they hadn't made right. And I've even sat with believers, followers of Jesus, who have been scared. And I think it's because they don't fully understand what lies ahead. I think it's because they don't fully understand that for them to depart from the body would mean to be at home with the Lord. They don't understand what Paul was saying, that for him to die is gain. But then there are others who I sit with that aren't scared at all. Because they are longing, like Paul was, to be at home with the Lord. They are longing to be with Jesus. They groan to be with him. 
They have fought the good fight. They have finished the race. They have done the work that God has laid out before them. And they are at peace knowing that for them to depart from this body, for them to to set aside this tent, means to be at home with Jesus. Because they have hope. Not in themselves, but hope that's only found in Jesus. For Paul to die is gain. But for Paul to live is Christ. So how can you and I say the same thing about our life? How can we live in such a way that we could say that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain? Well, friends, we can say for us to live as Christ when we have fruitful labor for God's kingdom. Look there at verse 22 of Philippians 1. Paul says this. He says, If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, I, what shall I choose? I do not know. Friends, if we are going to live for Jesus, and if we are going to live like Jesus, it means that we will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, we know that the fruit that we bear, the good works that we bear, are not done in order to save us, but they are done in response to us already being saved. Because Jesus has saved us, we therefore bear these works. We bear these fruitful labors. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. And that means that every single day, we are joyfully giving God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have because we trust that Jesus is all that we need and we are being transformed by who he is and what he has done for us, right? He has tra- is transforming us because he has saved us and we therefore are living lives to please God. We are living lives that are giving the best of everything that we are and everything that we have to him. Our response to who Jesus is and what he's done, our labors, our good works are done not to save us, but because we are saved. We work for God's kingdom and not the kingdom of self. Eugene Peterson said that we undermine the kingdom of self so we can establish the kingdom of God. You know, really, that's what it all comes down to. You see, because we have tried to put ourselves in God's seat, on his throne. We have tried to become God ourselves, and we do that through selfishness and sin. And we try to establish our own kingdom. But what God calls us to is to undermine the kingdom of self so we can establish his kingdom. So that we can live and seek first his kingdom. We do the work that God has called us to do. We do the fruitful labor for his kingdom. And that means that we are trying to help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. That means fruitful labor for for God's kingdom means that we are living out our walk together. Fruitful, uh, Fruitful labor for the kingdom of God means that we are equipping others to share the gospel. Fruitful labors for the kingdom of God means that we are doing good that we are building up the body of Christ, the church, his people. 
Friends, if we want to be able to, like Paul say, for me to live is Christ, not only will we have fruitful labor for God's kingdom and not our own, but secondly, we will put others first and ourselves last. This is a theme that you'll see through the rest of the book of Philippians, but let's unpack what Paul says here in verse 24. He says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound on account of me. Friends, if we are going to live for Jesus and like Jesus... It means that we will put others first and ourselves last. Notice Paul, what he says here. He says, I don't know what to choose, right? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. For, for me to depart from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And I don't know what to choose. But then he says, but, but I know it's more necessary for you, the Philippians and others, that Paul keep on living. Paul understood that if he was going to live for Christ, it means that he was going to put others first and himself last. He understood that his life was for the progress and the joy in the faith of others for him to keep on living. For Paul, for him to die is gain and for the glory of God. But for Paul to keep on living was for him to consider the needs of others, like the Philippians, over what was best for him. Here at Journey Church, we put it like this. We say that we follow the example of Jesus who sacrificed self for the hurting, the lost, and the, uh, the hurting and the needy and the lost. And we can follow Jesus' example, but we can also follow Paul's example. Because Paul followed Christ's example in this. He put the needs of others. He put the needs of others even though it meant that he sacrificed self to do so. Paul followed the example of Jesus and we should too. Paul put the needs of others first. And I wonder, can we say the same? Do we put the needs of others, not the wants, but the spiritual and the physical needs of others above ourselves. In fact, in chapter 2, Paul will say, in your relationships with others, have the same mindset of Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus humbled himself to die for you and me. Do we put the needs of others First, this is what it means to live for Jesus. And this is what it means to live like Jesus. This is what Jesus has done for us. Can we say for us to live is Christ? Do we put the needs of others first? So how might we this week put the needs of others above our own? How might you follow the example of Paul and Jesus, and serve others this week. Now, a lot of times we immediately go to that example of Jesus, and we think, oh man, how, how can I die for somebody this week? But I, 
I don't think it's just the big things. I think it's the little things. How, how might you put the needs of your spouse first this week? How might you put the needs of your kids first this week? How might you serve your neighbors this week? How might you put the needs of your coworkers above your needs this week? How might you serve your community this week? Is your labor fruitful not for yourself but for the kingdom of God? Not just when you have time, not just when it works best for you, but in everything that you are and everything that you have. And are you putting the needs of others first? Can you say that your life is for the progress and the joy and the faith of others and for the glory of God? Friends, if we want to be able to say for us to live as Christ, it will mean fruitful labor for God's kingdom, not our kingdom. And it means we'll put others first and ourselves last. Charles Spurgeon, reflecting on these verses, wrote these words. He said, the believer did not always live to Christ. He began to do so when God, the Holy Spirit, convicted him of sin. And when by grace he has brought him to see the dying Savior making propitiation for his guilt. From the moment of new birth, the man begins to live to Christ. Jesus is to the believers the one pearl of great price for whom we are willing to part with all that we have. He has so completely won our love that it beats alone for him. To his glory we would live, and in defense of his gospel we would die. He is the pattern of our life and the model after which we sculpture our character. Paul's words mean more than most men think. They imply that the aim and the end of his life was not only was Jesus, no, his life itself was Jesus. In other words, he did eat and did drink and did sleep eternal life. Jesus was the, his very breath, the soul of his soul, the heart of his heart, the life of his life. And can we honestly say, as followers of Jesus, that we live up to this idea? Can we honestly say that for us to live is Christ in your business? Are you doing it for Christ? In your marriages, are you doing it for Christ? In your parenting, in your work, in everything that you are, in everything that you have, are you doing it for Christ? There are many who carry out this principle in some measure, but who is there that dare say that they live wholly for Jesus, as Paul did. And yet, this alone is the true life of the follower of Jesus. It's our source, it's our sustenance, it's our fashion, it's our end, all gathered up into one word, Christ. Can we say, Lord, accept me. I here present myself praying to live only in you and to you. Let me be the bull that stands between the plow and the altar to work or to be sacrificed and let my motto be ready for either. For Paul, he could say, 
for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. Can we? Are we living for Jesus? Church, let's commit today that our labors will be not for our own kingdom, but for God's kingdom. May we undermine the kingdom of self so that we can establish the kingdom of God. Let's put others first, as Jesus has done for us, so that we honestly can say that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because when we do, we will begin to discover joy for our journey. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the example of your son Jesus, and thank you for the example of your servant Paul. He's given us big shoes to step into. And Father, we can't do this on our own. Only through the strength of your Holy Spirit can we say that we live for your Son. Only through your grace and your mercy can we say for us to die is gain. Only through the the prayers and the support of your church can we have fruitful labors for your kingdom. Only through the accountability of our brothers and sisters can we undermine the kingdom of self to establish your kingdom. Father, we can't do this on our own. We need you, we need your spirit, we need your son, and we need your people so that we can be a people who says for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, help us to put the needs of others first. Help us to consider our spouses and our children and our neighbors and our co-workers and the people who are in our community and around the world and help us to follow the example of your son Jesus and be willing to sacrifice and suffer to care for their needs over our own. Because this is what it means to live for your son. Help us to see the opportunities that you will open before us today and this week for us to live for Christ. Give us the strength to work for your kingdom and have fruitful labor for your kingdom. And remind us that we're only camping. And that for us to depart from the body would mean to be at home with you. We thank you for this hope that's not found in ourselves or in our own ability, but, but is found only in your son, Jesus. We ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.